Welcome, everybody. You're listening to another great episode of Cloud and Clear, SADA's Cloud Transformation Podcast. I'm so happy today to invite our very special guest, CTO and co-founder of Faraday, Seamus Apsher. Welcome, Seamus. I'm so glad to be here. Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe and add this to your favorite podcast because, you know, more listeners, the better. We're very proud today to come from our brand new studio back in HQ. So good to do this in a, in a, in a legit studio, Seamus. So you're my first guest in the new studio. How do you feel about that? Um, I feel very high resolution. Yes. It's, it's going to be uh, go, go down in history as our, the first one in the new studio. So I'm super excited about that. So Seamus, uh, we met yesterday. We worked together for uh, many months, and um, you know I was really super intrigued about not just what Faraday's doing today, but like just the whole origin story of, of yourself and how you got into this, how how the idea came uh, upon you. Uh, Faraday's been around for ten years, so I love a little bit of background and uh, a little bit of the origin story from you. Sure. So. Um... I'm from Wisconsin, and so is my co-founder, and we've been working together since high school on on different software projects. And this one started about 10 years ago when we realized that we could take data about remodeling and properties and real estate, and we could predict who the most likely buyers of, um, you know, like an energy remodel or a new furnace or a new roof or something like that would be. And so we started off very experimentally and consultatively. And fast forward to today, we're basically a self-service app where you bring your customer data, transaction data, any kind of data that uh, relates to US adults. And we build models in Google BigQuery ML, and then we let you run those models on a data set that includes every US adult and hundreds of different demographic, psychographic, life event, financial, location, family, et cetera, details. So one thing that happened recently that was, um, that was a lot of fun was I really wanted a phone system for my house uh, because, you know, my parents are getting older and I wanted to just be able to pick up the phone and call them. And even if they forgot their phone in the bathroom or something like that, yeah. a, a, wall the, a phone on the wall would ring. And there's this great company called Voiply, and I pinged their founder and I said, hey, by the way, like, I, I love your company. You know, you're selling to to people who are probably in a situation like me. Like, why don't you give Faraday a try? Right. And so just over the course of like a, a phone call, he uploaded his transaction data, which is all the uh, people who have signed up for this uh, voice over IP phone service over the f last few years. And within 24 hours, we had a model that showed that um, gardening was important to his customers, right? Wow. And so he's gonna be activating on that in Facebook and Google ads. And that was just a matter of a couple of days. Um, so yeah. that's what Faraday's about. It's all about discovering what's important to your customers, discovering uh, what things may lead them to take certain actions and then actioning on it. I mean, every organization has data around their own customers. Right. So that's like first party. It's the data you gather as you're serving customers and they're buying, et cetera. This idea that you can actually marry that with literally the database of all U.S. adults to find commonalities is sort of 
mind-blowing when uh, I learned sort of how it actually works. First of all, I didn't, I didn't realize that the data even exists. Like there, there's data around that you spend, you know, painstaking years, I think, to gather around um, U.S. adults at all. But um, it's just such a uh, simple concept when you sort of learn about it. But you have been on this data is the new currency train for a long time. I think people are realizing it now, but you, you were very early in realizing the power of really good, clean data. Well, I think it's another example of how humans always reinvent the wheel. Um, it turns out that there is a long history of magazines and catalogs and retail sharing data in their industry, right? And, you know, I'm sure that if we have any direct mail industry veterans listening to this podcast, they're going to hear what I'm talking about and say, you know, that's old news, you know, something like that. Yeah. And, the, and, and the fact is that like over time, there has been uh, a tradition of, of responsibly collecting data, appropriate data about people based on their purchase behavior, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we're tapping into that and adding a new AI layer on top of that. But and here's where I'm going to offend another group of people where I say that NoSQL was kind of reinventing a wheel that didn't necessarily need to be re reinvented. You know, I think that a lot of the third party cookies, web scraping, a lot of the creepy stuff that you could get into if you were trying to gather data about customers, a lot of that just wasn't necessary. Yeah. Uh, and so now that there is a understandable backlash against it, um, Faraday is positioned to use this more traditional source of, uh, of data and, and help companies to take advantage of it. Yeah, no, I was going to uh, ask you if this whole backlash against um, tracking and, and really sort of Apple in a lot of ways led the way in the do not track movement that you've seen an uptick in this more, I would say, you know, the cleaner approach to what Faraday is able to do, because you know, to me, it seems like first of all, it's, it's better for the consumer, right? Do not you, have, you should have that option not to be tracked in these weird, creepy ways, but also that um, the results are probably better, more accurate in the way that you're doing it, because you you have the first party data which you've collected, you know, by like knowingly by the customer, and then you're you're just finding patterns with stuff that we already know from these other databases who've collected information knowingly by the customer, right? Like it's a, it's a sort of a higher level elevated approach. Yeah. The, the theory of change is that there is something inherent about us adults that will determine or not, maybe not determine, but at least influence their behavior across many different decisions. And, you know, a lot of the technology that emerged that depended on third party cookie tracking and, you know, all that stuff, it's very good. It's very competitive. It's very powerful. But Faraday is taking kind of a back to basics approach where we're saying, bring in your data. We'll show you how we're using your data. We'll build decision trees that are explainable and interpretable and transparent. And we'll tell you, this is what we think is the signal in your data. And like I was saying with this company that sells, you know, voice over IP uh, phone lines to, to older folks, you know, there was some very interesting signal in their data. And mm -hmm. um, 
that approach of keeping the model at the company instead of letting Facebook or Google or somebody else build a, a black box model right has more than uh, it's it's more than just an interesting thing. It also allows us to um, help those companies understand how to use AI ethically. So, for example, when you build a model on Faraday, we immediately give you bias reporting, which basically mm -hmm. tells you whether if you were to use this model in the real world, you would perpetuate bias in your customer base. Or essentially, if you have underrepresented groups along various dimensions of concern, we're going to say, hey, you know, this is really skewed towards a certain marital status or a, a certain gender or or, you know, depending. Now, of course, different companies sell different products. And so in some cases, like it makes sense that there would be differences in, in different dimensions of concern. But another thing that Faraday has actually been selected apart from other vendors before is because we let you act on that bias and say, okay, right. for this outcome, I actually, I want to, uh, we call it neutral equity equality. I want to actually say, I want this outcome to be equitable, meaning mm -hmm. that we're going to balance in those underrepresented groups, or you can say equality, which is, you know, kind of a radical choice and something that we're hoping to, to explore with some brands this year, where they're actually making their consumer base more diverse through AI, through data, right? right. Well, we're flipping it on its head, you know, a lot of the problems that we've seen with AI over the last few years, and we're really trying to be responsible and transparent about it. So it's good that you can do it. I think it's sort of, um, uh, it's a more equitable approach, but there's, to me, it seems like there's actually real commercial and business benefits to broadening the target list to consumers you may not have been selling to at all, and probably maybe naively so, not discovering new types of buyers, which is what every consumer company wants, right? Discovering like new, new types of buyers that don't fit your traditional profile who's bought from you before. That seems like immensely powerful. Yeah, I think potentially, and of course, any founder would say this, but I think that the last few years have kind of borne it out. I think we kind of have a, a foundational, almost like a, a building block technology here, right? Mm -hmm. Most companies these days, and I certainly think that in five years, this will be the case almost across the board, have data warehouses. I think that that's the low energy state for your data. Mm -hmm. If you have it in, in, in other systems, I think that you're going to literally gravitate towards BigQuery, Snowflake, you know, whatever the other data warehouse options are out there. Once it's there, um, the question is, how do, you act, how do you activate on it? And so Faraday is one of the kind of next level building blocks that says, well, if you have a particular outcome in mind, then AI can use the data you have in your data warehouse and point to the people who are most likely to perform uh, a certain action. And so in some ways it's, it's open to interpretation and it's open to, it's, it's well, it's kind of like Excel, you know, you can mess it up. You know, if you put in, if, if you, if you break, if you build a financial model in, in Excel and it doesn't work the way that you want it to work, well, you don't blame Excel. You go back and you say, what's wrong with my assumptions? What's wrong with my inputs? Formulas. Yeah. 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 So um, I think that it's, it's just a, it's a basic technology that is then going to get used 
And, and we work with all sorts of great partners like, you know, High Touch, for example, where the predictions that we make, they take them and they push them out to all these different places. Mm-hmm. And that's how the customer actually gets value. So can you describe the exact application of sort of ML and AI in this process of target identification and the matching and, and how sure. the, these technologies help, you know, in the actual targeting? So the fundamental discovery we made a few years ago was that we could take our consulting work and we could re-implement it on top of BigQuery. And there are a few steps, data cleaning, matching, training, scoring, and each of those can be done in SQL. From a process point of view, from a team point of view, what this has meant is that we've built a team that knows how to write SQL that runs on BigQuery. And this frees them to think theoretically Mm. because they can declare their intentions around feature engineering, around matching, around model creation without needing to wonder about node count or memory limits or or things like that. Mm. So essentially, Faraday is a... It's a series of tried and true recipes that go from raw transaction data that's just sitting in the data warehouse into a BigQuery ML XGBoost model or K-means clustering model, or we're actually working with the, the BigQuery ML product team right now on some new model types that we can use for clients. But all of that is in a way... Um, it's simplified because since we're not a general data science platform, but instead Mm -hmm. we focus on just making predictions about us adults, we can build all these advanced models. We can do all this advanced feature engineering. We can, you know, project these predictions across the entire United States and return them in a simple form. um, Because we're not asking the client to pick how many trees should be in their ensemble or something like that. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the ability of Faraday to give customers like their own, um, you know, re- refined models over time, like that's the real value, right? At some point, like the ML capabilities itself, like in a vacuum, relatively commoditized, like, okay, like data lakes, whatever, like relatively commoditized, but marrying all of that with your data and your customers and your refined models over time on top of Faraday, like that's the real kind of intellectual property that companies will get to create in the midst of all this expansion of these capabilities across cloud, right? Yeah. And, you know, I just read today that 56% of chief data officers report to a business function as opposed to like a chief technology or a chief information officer. And I thought that was great news because what it says is that businesses are realizing that in order to use and value data, you have to start with the outcome. You have to start with the, you know, you leapfrog all the way to what you're trying to get out of the data. And then you backtrack and you say, what is the minimum data that I can use to achieve this outcome? Right. And there's all sorts of reasons to use the minimum amount of data to do something. Occam's razor, you know, making sure that um, it's a reproducible process that uses the least resources, but it's also like in a, in a privacy constrained world, you know, if you can, if you can make a prediction about somebody or, or about something, 
you know, with the minimum possible data points, that's going to help you down the down the line with regulators and, and data breaches and all that stuff. So, sure. yeah. Yeah, I think you were describing to me like every great SaaS company, you have an onboarding program for new customers and you described to me how that's actually done in two groups and uh, sort of parallel processes, but two completely different onboarding workflows. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think it's exactly what you're referring to about who really yes. the customer is inside of the of your customer. Right. When, when a company buys Faraday, we have a sponsor who has goodwill, but that goodwill is limited. And we want to spend that goodwill budget on achieving a predictive outcome. I want to predict who is most likely to sign up for my credit card. I want to predict, you know, who is most likely to install my app. I want to predict who's, you know, most likely to do X. And one track of our onboarding focuses on that track. And that's with the business sponsor and with our data scientists and, yeah. and et cetera. And it's facilitated by our self-service app because we really want the client to be able to iterate once they've created this first predictive outcome to be able to replicate that experiment, et cetera. The other track, which we have learned over time not to combine, is sort of the, the data integration IT track. Yeah. And part of that goes back to the theory of change of Faraday, which is that there's something inherent in people that might cause them to take an action. And so like, if that's true, it's okay if you don't refresh your data for a month or two months, right? If the, you know, the model itself shouldn't change very much on a day-to-day -day basis. But we're talking a month or two, you like over time, we will wanna get ongoing data updates. And so we work with IT teams, you know, we go really deep on helping people set up their, you know, complicated Microsoft SSIS setups to push to S3. You know, yeah. We worry about, you know, firewalls and, and all that stuff, but that's totally separated from the business sponsor. Yeah, that's probably very wise. <laughs> two different sets of problems, two different ways of, or parts of the app that both have to work well for it to ultimately yeah. work. So that's really wise. You made a comment to me, um, as we're prepping for this, like Faraday couldn't do what we're doing today if we were not built on GCP. Can you kind of articulate why you have come to that conclusion? Yeah, uh, a few years ago, we were running on horizontally sharded Postgres. And thank God, one of our senior engineers discovered BigQuery and say and said, you know, this 250 cluster, 250 node Postgres cluster we're running over here, that's a toy compared to BigQuery. And so we started to move more and more of our query processing over to BigQuery. And then we discovered, hey, the, um, the, the ECS, we have the, basically the Kubernetes light that we're running over on, on Amazon. Well, Google's Kubernetes is just a much nicer environment. And then we discovered things like identity aware proxy. Hmm. And, you know, of course, there were equivalents for anything that we might need in terms of like web application, firewall, cloud armor. And so, and, and I just had a sense as somebody who's spent 10 years in the Amazon console, I started to use the Google console more and more. And I just, it felt like going into the past to go to the Amazon console. So, you know, maybe that's a, a, an emotional way to put it, but 
we discovered that there were some foundational technologies on Google Cloud that were either much better or marginally better than what we had on, on Amazon. And then there was a real killer technology, which was BigQuery ML, which, like I said, has a way of doing big uh, learning, uh, machine learning in SQL, which is declarative, which lets us train our data scientists, train our programmers to declare what they want and let Google research figure it out. You know, yeah. if the thing is going to cost, you know, 100,000 hours of computation, well, that's Google's problem. You know, we don't have to, you know, go and pull out our napkins and calculate how many, you know, C2 medium instances that's going to take. Although this is kind of surprising when you are talking about cloud vendors and you compare their technologies and they seem roughly equivalent. One of the differences between GCP and Amazon was again, that we let it moving to GCP and BigQuery ML actually let us change how we organized our, our teams, you know, and we, we put data scientists in the, in the same team as our programmers. And over time that's faded away as a distinction. And so I thought that was pretty powerful, you know, not only being able to depend on Google research to take care of parallelizing these jobs, but also being able to, from a growth point of view, have our data scientists learn Python in order to generate big, you know, SQL for BigQuery and for our, our platform engineers, allowing them to see what an ML dot predict actually does and how it fits in with the data sets and all that stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the panacea, right? That's what we want to get to. Um, there's just not enough of talent out there to sort of figure all this stuff out on their own. There's just not enough, you know, machine learning PhDs from Carnegie Mellon to do this the old fashioned way. And, and I think that's part of Google's objective is to sort of, uh, democratize, um, machine learning capability. Yeah, it's a retention. It's a retention issue also. Absolutely. Like if you if you can give your team the opportunity to build production systems, that is a much more interesting job than just being like a data engineer or a yeah, data sure. analyst or a modeling engineer or whatever, right? Like you don't have to differentiate so much if you have such good primitives and you can let people kind of just get creative you know, and, and go from like user input to final output themselves. Yeah. You know, and see the commercial impact of like the work they're doing into the product. Yes. Yeah, totally. Everybody likes to make money for a company. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially right now in this yeah, environment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, you know, this was a, a transformation and migration you had to make in the platform. We were, you know, obviously very honored to, to, to do that work with you hand in hand, but, can you describe, you know, why you went to partner to help you make this migration happen? I mean, you have very smart people, you have great engineers. Why did you feel like, you know, a partner would be helpful and why SADA? Yeah. So we got some good advice from our Google, um, from our Google rep that we should look into a reseller. And I didn't really even know what that was. My business partner luckily said, let's run a competitive process. And so we went through a multi-month process with three different Google resellers, all of which gave a great presentation and Sada was the most expensive, but call after call with the, the Sada technical people, it was clear that they got it. 
and they got it like not just like marginally more, but I knew that we would be able to take this migration and turn it into like a real value add to the business. You know, it wasn't just going to be pick it up here and drop it over there. It was going to be like, well, what are the things that we can take advantage of inside of GKE and, you know, really drive the business forward? And so, you know, I don't know how, uh, how, I don't know if this is how it usually works, but essentially we signed with SADA. We got the engineers that I had requested based on the sales process. Don't know if that always happens that way, but we try. We, we were able to take a system that in Amazon was, uh, it was a single track deploy system and we were able to migrate it over. So we had equivalent functionality, but we also added like a Heroku style branch deploy system. And if I was giving advice to people who are going to be doing a migration with SADA, assign your best engineers to work with SADA, right? And that, and that will maximally leverage the expertise that SADA brings because like, you know, your business best, you know, the reason that you can't do X, Y, Z, right? But when you reach a, a point of decision, the SADA engineer is going to know, you know, here, you know, here's, here's why you can't do that, but here's why you have these three options. And of those three options, this is the best option. And we saw that over and over again. So we've actually done, I think now four separate engagements with SADA to set everything up from databases to security to Kubernetes um, and some stuff in between. And I think that the model where you give SADA really good input and then SADA executes has really worked. Appreciate that. Look, we, we love selling the technology, but we really want to differentiate ourselves on just really good advice and professional services and engineering expertise. That's really, I think, where we are able to maximize the value to, to our customers. I'm super happy to hear also that this is not just sort of a lift and shift migration of like, oh, the end state is going to be, you know, almost exactly like it was on the other platform that we took the time to re-architect and improve. Because I think that's when you see the most value as well, whether it's cost or performance or resiliency, like, I guess my advice back to customers, uh, like Faraday would be, uh, don't just lift and shift, <laughs> try to do more in the process to maximize, you know, the benefit and the time you're going to spend doing this work anyway, like take a little extra time and, and think about the optimal, um, performance and capability and architecture GCP will, uh, enable. Yeah. And, and put your best minds on it because SADA will come with their best minds, you know, and for sure, that's where you get the real, the real value, you know, where one plus one equals like five in our case. Yeah. Seamus, thank you so much for being my guest. Uh, the first one in the new studio. It was a pleasure to learn about how you're doing um, big data and uh, AI and ML um, in, in sort of this ethical context, which is so important these days. It's what everybody's talking about. We're all excited about the capabilities uh, and the power that these new technologies bring, but uh, it's, it's very important to have a framework that is doing it as ethically as possible and looks like Faraday's leading in that um, in that world. So uh, super happy to hear that you're doing it that way. Well, we we appreciate that Sada has our back. We do now and forever, customers for life. We hope to serve you for many many years to come. 
For everybody, thank you so much for joining our show. Please don't forget to subscribe, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you, Seamus. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics, and don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.